right, let's open our Bible. Have you brought your Bible? Man, have we got to hurry. Boy, it's going to be a quick one tonight. Join me, if you will, on page 1090, uh, 1090, or the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. And I want to read some verses here real quick, and I just want to encourage you tonight. We're living in the last days. I get that, and I want to encourage you tonight. Don't give up. All right, let's look at this together. Luke chapter 11. I want to begin reading verse number 5. If you're not there yet, just join me when you get there. But I'll start in verse number 5, and I'd like to read down through verse 13. Please keep your Bible open and follow me through this text tonight. Look at verse 5. And he said unto them, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. So Jesus said to his disciples, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight, notice the word midnight, at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot arise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his, uh, because he's his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, here's the lesson now. Here's the moral of that story that he just told. I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, what happens to him? Everyone that asketh, and he that seeketh, and to him that knocketh, it shall be. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him, give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. And then over in the Gospel of Matthew, in the same text, Matthew said, if your fathers being evil know how to give good gifts unto their children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things unto them that ask him? I want to preach tonight on this thought, three friends in the midnight hour. Three friends in the midnight hour. Father, bless your word and speak to our hearts tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In case you may be wondering tonight what this text is all about that I've just read for you, really, you really don't have to look far to, to find out why Jesus told these stories and spoke these words. In fact, if you look back up into chapter 11 in verse number 1, the Bible said that the Lord's disciples had just come to him with a most unusual request. Back up into chapter 11 in verse 1, the disciples of the Lord Jesus come unto him and say, Hey, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I say that is an unusual request for this reason. If I'd been following Jesus around as they had been following Jesus around, and if I would have saw some of the things that Jesus did uh, that they saw him do, I probably wouldn't say, hey, Lord, teach me to pray. I'd probably say something like this. Hey, Lord, could you show me how to do some miracles? I would probably say, hey, Jesus, could you teach me that trick about walking on water. 
Or maybe I'd say something like this, Lord, could you teach me how to heal the sick or maybe how to raise the dead? Or Lord, what about that calming the storm that night in that Category 5 hurricane when you stepped out on the bows of that boat and said, peace be still. Could you show me how to do that? Or at least I probably would have said something like this, Lord, uh, knowing that how hungry we are, could you teach me how to feed a lot of people with a, just a meager amount of food like you did the 5,000? Oh yeah, I probably wouldn't have said, Lord, teach me to pray. I probably would have said, Lord, teach me how to do some of those miracles. But these disciples didn't come to Jesus about a request for miracles. They came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, the one thing we know about Jesus is that he was a man of prayer. In fact, as we read through the four gospels, we often bump into Jesus praying all night long. And I think the disciples kind of picked up on that. They saw Jesus pray and they saw things happen right before their very eye that he asked the Father to do. And they said, Lord, we'd like to learn how to pray like you're praying. Lord, We'd like to learn how to communicate with God and get things done. Well, in request then to that, uh, in, in response to that request, Jesus then gives us two illustrations about God answering prayer. Now, the one thing that I know of in this room tonight is that we are a praying people, and I thank God for that. I know we don't pray like we ought to. Can I have an amen? But you know, the one thing I know about us is that we're a people that believes in prayer. We are a praying people. I have a list, a prayer list that I work through almost every morning of my life. I have people that I pray for that are lost, and I have people that I pray for that are sick. I have children that I pray for, your children, my children, other children, that I pray to be saved, or I pray to get right with God, or I pray that they'll be spiritually minded and not be carnally minded. I have a prayer list. I, I pray and I talk to God. I love to see God answer prayer, don't you? And Jesus here reminds us that God answers prayer in two different ways or in two different forms. First of all, sometimes God answers prayer as a father. He answers prayer as a father. In verse 11, verse 12, and verse number 13, Jesus said, I just want to tell you, God answers prayer because he is our father. By the way, aren't you glad that you know God is your father tonight? Now, not everybody knows God is their father. Only people that have been born into God's family can call God father. That's the reason Jesus, on another occasion, taught the disciples to pray something like this, our Father who art in heaven. I know him tonight, just not as my creator. I know him tonight, just not as my judge. I know him tonight, just not as the king. Boy, I'm glad when I got born again, I got born into God's family, and now I can look up to heaven, and I can call God my Father. And yes, sir, God answers prayer as a father. I mean, we receive answers to prayer because God is our heavenly father. And just as an earthly father pities his children and wants to, uh, make, wants to make his children happy and wants to uh, do good things for them, our heavenly father pities his children. And God wants to do good things for us, as has already been said. And God wants to bless our life. And God wants to answer our prayers. So he answers prayers as a father. But in the verses that I read tonight in verse number 5, we find this out. Not only does he answer prayer as a father, but he also answers prayer as a friend. Boy, aren't you glad that you got a friend in Jesus. The songwriter said, what a friend. 
we have in Jesus. We sing around here, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. We have a friend in Jesus. Now, not a fickle friend, and not a fair-weather friend, not a fault-finding friend, but aren't you glad he's a faithful friend? I like, he, I like to say it like this, he's a Proverbs kind of friend. You know, Proverbs said that a friend loveth at all times. And it goes on to say this, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I think that tells me that when everybody else walks out of your life, thank God Jesus will come walking in. You know why? He is a friend. And as I look at this text tonight, and I want to rush through this, but as I look at this text tonight, I see three friends in this text. In fact, three friends in a midnight hour. First of all, if you'll look there at verse number five, there is a friend who is hungry. A friend who is hungry. We're told there in verse number five that this friend has come from out of town and he comes to another friend and he knocks on this friend's door wanting something to eat. So number one, there's a friend that is hungry. Now I'm calling that friend, I'm calling that friend the deficient friend. The deficient friend. And then there's this friend that he comes to looking for bread. And he comes to this friend's house. This one friend comes to this other friend's house. And he knocks on the door and he's looking for something to eat. But this man has no bread in the house. Now I'm calling him the deficient friend and then the insufficient friend. I mean he doesn't have what his friend is looking for. He doesn't have the ability to meet his needs. But then there's a third friend in this story. And that is this friend that doesn't have any bread to feed this friend that's come from out of town goes to this one friend who lives just a few houses over and gets enough bread and to spare. I'm calling him an efficient friend. Now there's one more thing I want to point out to you before I jump into this text and that's this. Look at verse 5. It is the midnight hour when all of this takes place. You know, the midnight hour, we're living in the very days, or maybe I should say even the very hours before the return of the Son of God from heaven for his very own. Could I borrow the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 and verse number 5 when he said this, the Lord is at hand. How many of y'all believe the Lord's at hand? I believe, friend, I believe Jesus is getting ready to come back soon. Now I get it. I'm like you. I know that no man knows the day nor the hour when Jesus is coming again. But did you know oftentimes in the Bible that his, his second coming is mentioned in conjunction with the midnight hour? I don't know what it is, but it seems like often, and I'm not saying he's coming at midnight. I'm just saying in the Bible, oftentimes when we read about the coming of Jesus, sometime or another, it's always mentioned as being at midnight. Again, I don't want to go out on the limb tonight and say that at all. I really don't. But I do know this in the Bible sometimes is portrayed as a midnight coming. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, in that story of those ten virgins and five were wise and five were foolish and we'd read something like this he, his Lord answered and said to him thou wicked and slothful servant uh, dost thou, boy that's the wrong verse ain't it boy did I mess that one up or what but the Bible is talking about them ten virgins and, and when it gets down in there it said and the bridegroom came at the midnight hour. Now the reason I think that maybe it's used in conjunction with the second coming is the midnight hour is an unexpected hour. I mean, you don't expect a telephone call at the midnight hour. I mean, if somebody calls you at the midnight hour, the first thought in your mind, who's sick, who's been in a wreck, or who died? 
I mean, that's my thought as a preacher. But I got the funeral home on speed dial. So, I mean, you got to understand that's just a preacher's lie. I, I don't expect a call at the midnight hour. Can I stop and say this? I don't expect a knock on the door at a midnight hour. I mean, at the midnight hour, the last thing I'm looking for is somebody to come up and start knocking on my door. I don't expect that. By the way, I don't even expect a text message in the midnight hour. It is an unexpected time. And I just wonder if the Lord is just saying, I'm going to come back when you least expect it. I'm going to come back when nobody's looking, when the majority of the world is least expecting. I'm coming again. So this story takes place at the midnight hour. You and I are living in the midnight hour. You and I are living in the very hours and minutes before the coming of the Son of God. I believe that tonight with all of my heart. So with that being said, now with that thought tucked away in our mind, let's talk about these three friends in the midnight hour. First of all, let's talk in verse number five. Let's talk a little bit about this deficient friend. This deficient friend. Now, uh, when we first meet this friend, we find out one thing about him. He has a great need. He has traveled a long distance. He's finally arrived in this particular town. He's hungry and he's looking for something to eat, so he goes to another one of his friends. Let me just say this. This deficient friend to me is a picture of a sinner. He is a picture of a sinner. And the reason I say that is simply this. He, he's lacking something. He's empty on the inside, and he's looking for something to fill a void, to fill a longing down deep on the inside. Now, let me just stop and say, ladies and gentlemen, that's a picture of humanity tonight. Humanity is lost without God. And humanity is looking for something to fill a void on the deep down on the inside of them. You see, you've got to understand that when God created us, and by the way, God did create us tonight. Can I have, a, have an amen? Hey, we didn't wiggle up out of a swamp, out of a primordial swamp somewhere millions of years ago. We didn't fall out of a tree. We're not some part of an evolutionary process. God made us, and God created us, and God formed us, and when he did so, God created, we were created by God, and we were created for God. When God created you, God had a specific plan in mind for your life. And, and that specific plan is when God created you and God created me, he did so with the intentions of you and I not seeing how much liquor we could consume, not seeing how many parties we could attend. Not seeing how much dope we could smoke. Not seeing how many relationships we could jump into and out of. And not seeing how many babies we could produce. When God created us, he created us for his own pleasure. God created you and me to bring pleasure to the heart of God. When I was growing up, remember that old song, I was born to serve the Lord. And the reason that God created me was for me to turn around and use my life to bring great pleasure and satisfaction and happiness to the heart of God. That's the reason Revelation 4.11 says this right here. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise. For thou hast created all things, all things. You and me, brother, God created us. Why? For thy pleasure they are and we're created. God created me to make him happy. God created me to bring pleasure to his heart. Maybe I should stop the sermon and just ask you and me the question tonight, how much pleasure you've been bringing to God lately? 
Amen. I wonder how many of us have been bringing more grief to his heart than we have been bringing pleasure to his heart. I wonder how many of us have been hurting the heart of God more than we have been making happy the heart of God because of the things that we're allowing to come into our life. Yes, sir. God created us for him, and we were created to bring pleasure to the heart of God. But then we know what happened. Man sinned. And when man sinned and turned his back upon the God who created him, it created a vacuum in his life. It created a chasm, a hole down deep on the inside. It's like having a jigsaw puzzle. You know these puzzles that you buy 500 pieces or 1,000 pieces? How frustrating is it to work through the entire puzzle only to find that the very centerpiece is missing? I mean, y'all know that. I mean, man, you spend hours and hours and hours, and you get down to those last. If you're like me, when I put a puzzle together, I always start with the outward edges and work my way in and usually give up before I get finished. But how frustrating is it to put a 500-piece puzzle together only to find that right there in the middle of that puzzle, there's a piece missing. It's not in the box. It's not on the floor. Evidently, it's been lost. I want to tell you something. That, that picture will never uh, fulfill the uh, reason that the picture was created, the puzzle was created, as long as the center piece is missing. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell every one of us in this room, that's a picture of man without God. The center piece is missing. And no matter what he does, there's a hole in there. There's a void in there. There's a chasm. There's an emptiness down on the inside. And ladies and gentlemen, that void and that chasm and that emptiness can only be filled by the person of the Son of the living God. You know, that, 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 that hunger, that chasm, that void is often pictured in a variety of ways in the Bible. Sometimes it's pictured like a thirst. That's the reason Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. It's like being thirsty, but no matter what you drink, it doesn't quench your thirst. I just want to tell you, you can drink all the liquor you want to drink. You can pour in your body all the alcohol and the beer that you want to pour, pour in your body, but it'll never, ever quench that thirst that's down on the inside of you. Sometimes that, that chasm, that void is pictured as a hunger. That's the reason Jesus said, If any man hunger, let him come unto me and eat. Any man that eats of this bread will never, ever hunger. I don't care what you try to consume. I don't care what you try to put in that chasm, that void, that emptiness in your life. There will never be anything in there that will ever satisfy you till you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, he and he alone can fill the void and the longing of your heart. Yes, sir. Only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And apart from him, there'll always be a thirst that won't be quenched. There'll always be a hunger that'll never be fulfilled. There'll always be a longing and a desire that cannot be met. Let me use today's terminology. There'll always be an itch that cannot be scratched until you invite Jesus to come into your heart. And this boy that comes looking for bread, he's a picture of lost humanity in this midnight hour that's searching and longing for something that'll satisfy them down deep in the resources of their soul. Yes, sir. Maybe that kind of explains why people live some of the way that they live. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe it helps me to understand why people do some of the crazy things that they do and get caught up in some of the mess they get caught up in because they're looking for something that will bring happiness and joy and peace on the inside of their heart. Yes, sir. He's a deficient friend. He's hungry and he's looking for something to eat. 
in the midnight hour. How many of y'all are with me? There's a deficient friend. But next we move in verse number five to an insufficient friend. Now what do I mean by that? Well, he comes in the midnight hour and he's looking for something. So he comes to his friend, uh, according to the word of God, and he comes to his friend, and this friend has nothing to set before him. Now, if that, if that deficient friend is a picture of the sinner, then this insufficient friend is a picture of the saint. Isn't it a sight that in this midnight hour, people are looking for something to satisfy on the inside? but God's people don't have any bread for them. Isn't that a sight? Can I read you a sad statement found in this text? What a sad statement. Look at verse number, uh, verse number six. Here's a sad statement. The last phrase there says this, I have nothing to set before him. You know what he's saying? He's saying right now I'm not in a position to help you while I'm lacking myself. I have nothing for you. I don't have the resources to meet your need. Isn't that sad? Isn't it sad that lost people are coming looking for something to satisfy them, to satisfy that hunger down on the inside, and yet all of God's people, all we can say is, I, 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 I have nothing to set before you. If that ain't a picture of the last day's church, if that's not a picture of the last day's Christian, I don't know what is. The lost enter our doors and we have nothing to set before them and they walk out the same way that they came in. The broken lives walk through our doors and we have nothing to set before them and they leave just as broken as they entered our buildings. The shattered enter our services and they come with their lives torn all to pieces but we have nothing to set before them and they leave just as shattered as they came. Amen. All over uh, the country, all over our county, our community, our city, we see churches that got these signs out front that say something like this, come as you are. And the only problem is people come as they are and they leave as they were. You know why? I'll tell you why. We have nothing to set before them. Oh, brother, I want to encourage you. Join with me in prayer. Join with me in prayer at every service that will have some bread to set before this crowd that's looking and desiring and hungry for something to eat. Hey, when we gather together as God's people, hey, pray when you get out of your car and walk in the building that when you walk in, the fresh aroma of fresh baked bread will permeate this building. Ladies and gentlemen, we have nothing to set before them. And because of that, they're leaving broken and they're leaving shattered and they're leaving lost and God help us to get something to put before them tonight. Amen. We're insufficient friend. Boy, as a pastor, my greatest desire every week is, oh God, I try to and I don't do it sometimes like I ought to, but I try to get into God's presence and I say, God, give me some bread. Lord, people are going to come hungry. They may not want it, but Lord, I don't want to leave out of here saying, man, they didn't have anything to set on the table. Every time our singers sing, when you get up to sing, you ought to say, oh God, help me have some bread to set before this crowd. Every time you get up to teach your class or run your bus route and preach on a bus or in a children's church, our greatest prayer ought to be, oh God, give me some bread. There's hungry folks. It's the midnight hour. Time's running out. Give me something to set before this crowd. They need something for the long and down deep on the inside. He's an insufficient friend. But can I tell you something? I've kind of give that old boy a hard time. But there are some things about him that I like. 
First of all, if you looked at verse number 5 and verse 6, I like the fact that he admitted that he didn't have the bread. Amen? He didn't try to start making excuses for not having anything to eat. He didn't look at his old friend and say, you know something, I, I hate this, but our stove's tore up. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, you know something, I, I hate you come, but we momentarily ran out of wheat. He didn't blame the fact that he didn't have anything to set before his friend on COVID. That friend didn't show up in that midnight hour and he said, you know something, I went to the grocery store, the shelves are empty, COVID is killing us, we don't have anything, I'm sorry, COVID has kept us from having anything for you to eat. And he didn't even blame it on the government. Ladies and gentlemen, as we as a church, if we don't have anything to set before a crowd that's hungry and looking for something to satisfy the deepest longing of their heart, hey, listen, we can blame it on COVID all we want to blame it on. We can blame it on Joe Biden, and, and I get some of that, but the truth of the matter is, if we don't have anything to set before them, hey, hey, let's just admit it. It's our fault. Hey, we ought to pray the bread down. We ought to pray the power down. We ought to pray for the Spirit of God to move in this place, to give them what they're looking for. He admitted, I like that, he admitted he didn't have any bread. Then I thought about this, I like this fact, he didn't try to offer him a substitute. He didn't say, listen now, he didn't say to this old boy, you know, we don't have bread, but we got some rice cakes. Might as well say we got cardboard. He didn't say, well, we don't have any bread, but we have some tofu, whatever that is. He didn't say, we, didn't have, we don't have any bread, but I'll tell you what, we got some tater chips. He didn't try to offer him a substitute. And all over this world, there are churches who no longer have the bread. But when people come, they try to offer them up a substitute. Hey, we don't have the bread, but come over here. We got great entertainment. We don't have the bread, but come over here. We got great facilities. Come over here. Hey, we don't have any bread, but we got activities going on all week long. Hey, we don't have the bread, but we got dance and we got drama and we got dialogue. I'm thankful this old boy had enough sense about him to admit the fact he didn't have any bread and thank God he didn't have enough sense about him not to try to give him a substitute instead of the real thing. How many churches do you know? How many churches I know? Hey, we've run out of bread. We've lost the touch of God. We've lost the power of God. And all we can do is offer people substitutes when they come. Brother, give us the real deal. Hey, give me something that's got a little life to it. Hey, tell me something I can hang my hat on in the tough time. Give me something that I can cross over Jordan with. Hey, give me something that's real. Don't give me a substitute. Don't hand me a rice cake. Don't give me a bag of tater chips. I need some bread. Yes, sir. He didn't offer him any substitute. But I like this number three. He knew where he could get some bread. Amen. Amen. Man, I done spit all over myself. I tell you what, bless your heart, he knew where he could get some bread at. He told that old boy, I'm so sorry, we're out. It ain't COVID's fault. It ain't the government's fault. It's our fault. We've run out of bread. I don't have anything in the house to substitute, but I bless your heart. If you'll wait right here just a minute, I got a friend that just lives right up yonder. And I know one thing, he's got some bread. And I'll tell you what, bless your heart. By the way, I like that story. That old prodigal reminds me of this right now. You know when that old prodigal got in that far country and he was sitting down there and he was feeding 
feeding his soul with the husk that the swine did eat, and he got to thinking about home. And the one thing that he got to thinking about home was what was going on in the father's kitchen. And he thought to himself, how many of my father's servants have bread enough and to spare? Aren't you glad tonight? Hey, the church may not have it, but thank God there's an oven baking tonight in heaven, and God's got the bread that this world needs. Yes, sir, he knew when he could get it. That's what made him jump off the rail, throw down the pail, and hit the trail. He was going home for some bread. He knew where he could get it. And then I like this. I'm going to wrap this up. He was willing to inconvenience himself to get some bread for his friend. Now, here's where we've lost it. We don't have it. We admit it. We ain't got no substitute. There ain't nothing to take the place of a slice of bread. We know our friends got it, but too many of us are not willing to inconvenience ourselves to go to our friend that's got the bread to get some bread for our other friend that's hungry for some bread. I mean, he inconvenienced himself. At the midnight hour, he got up out of bed. At the midnight hour, he went up to his friend's house. At the midnight hour, he did all of that. You know why? Because he had a friend that needed some bread. You know something? I want to say this. I love us. I love us. I'm saying this to me too. Used to, when people didn't get saved, we went home, wept, and prayed. Now people don't get saved, go home, take a nap. When's the last time we, I said we, when's the last time you and I got out of the bed in the middle of the night and went in there in the living room and asked our friend for some bread? Because we've got another friend that's longing for some bread. Hey, when's the last time we wept over a soul? When's the last time we, we inconvenienced ourselves? When's the last time we fasted? That's an inconvenience. Like Chick-fil-A too good. When's the last time we inconvenienced ourselves to go up yonder and get some bread because we got a friend over here that's looking for something to eat? Come on. I'm done. So we got, a, we got a deficient friend. We got an insufficient friend. But aren't you glad there is an efficient friend? So what does he do? So he gets out of bed. Why, look at me. He's in the bed for crying out loud. This guy just shows up out of nowhere. And uh, he said, we don't have it. But I know where I can get it. Way right here. I'll be right back. And he gets on his nightcap and his bedroom shoes and he gets up there and against all the criticism and all the yelling at him, you got to know when he went up there and knocked on that old boy's door, first thing that happened, whoa, 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 whoa. and he didn't answer on the first knock. Now several dogs, help me. Now the neighborhoods woke up. Hey, thank y'all. Some of you sound more like cats than you do dogs. How many cats we got in here? Give me a meow. I hate cats. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Man, we got a bulldog over here on this side over here. And now they're all barking. Now they're all barking. 
Little old ladies are peeking through the blinds. Men that have got to get up and go to work saying, shut up. It's midnight. Criticism. Rejection. He don't care. <laughs> he knows who's got some bread. And he knows who needs some bread. And his greatest desire is to get some bread, to go give to him that needs some bread. And against all the criticism and all the rejection and all that, all that could possibly go wrong, he's inconvenienced himself. He's put himself out there as an object of rejection and ridicule because all he wants to do is get some bread for his friend. You say, what happened? Well, if you look at verse number, uh, verse 7, he's rejected even by the man with the bread. Trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. He just keeps on knocking. Dogs are still barking. Cats are still meowing. Little nosy ladies are still peeking out the window. Men are still hollering, shut up and go to bed. Lights are on everywhere. It's awful. But he keeps knocking. And finally, finally, that old boy says, I'll tell you, you're my friend, but I, tell, I ain't going to give you this bread, but I tell you, I know if I don't give you, you're about to worry me to death. We have got to get some rest. So he hands him three loaves of bread. And not only did the guy who needed bread got bread, but the man who was asking bread got bread as well. Because the efficient friend not only gives bread to the lost, but aren't you glad he gives bread to the saved? Amen and amen. And the whole moral of the story is, man, don't quit praying. Keep on knocking. How many of y'all have ever done this? Now, don't look down. We ain't praying, and we got to go. But as a child, maybe as a teenager, maybe probably some of us have done this as adults before, but went up and rang somebody's doorbell and took off running before they come. You ever did that lately? I mean, it's probably been three or four weeks ago since I did it now, but you go up, ring the doorbell, and hightail it out of there, maybe go around the corner, hide in the bushes or something, laugh at them when they come open the door. But how is that so much like you and I? We go up to heaven's door to get some bread. Ding, And before God gets to the door, we take off running. And the world is lost and on its way to hell. And we have nothing to set before them. Oh, may God give us bread to set before those that are hungry. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this great story.